When you think about power, what comes to your mind? Do you think about a a nuclear explosion? Do you think about an F5 tornado or a Category 5 hurricane? Do you think about a a power lifter or a heavyweight MMA fighter? When, When you think about power, what comes to your mind? We're in a series that we've entitled Son of God where we're, we're trying to discover who is Jesus. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he the Son of God? Because that's what he claimed. When he was standing before the religious leaders, they asked him point blank, Are you the Son of God? And this is what he said. He said, Yes, I am. Now, each and every one of us today have to do something With that claim of Jesus. We have to either decide that it is true or it's false. If it's false, Jesus was either a liar or he was a lunatic, the craziest man who ever lived. But I want you to know this morning that that I'm convinced that what Jesus said was true. Jesus is the Son of God. And so what we've been doing is, is looking at some of the things that, that give convincing proof, that, that give convincing evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. A couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at the fact that Jesus has no beginning. That sets Jesus apart from every other person who has ever lived. Every other person who has ever lived has a beginning point. A starting point, a day of our birth, but not Jesus. Jesus has always been, he always is, and he always will be. If you go back to the very beginning of everything, Jesus is there. And Jesus is the one who set it all in motion. So so Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Last week, we discovered the second thing that that sets Jesus apart from every other man who has walked on planet Earth. And and that is Jesus was sinless. Jesus never sinned. Now, each and every man, woman, boy, and girl who has walked on this planet has sinned. We've messed up. We've blown it. We've we've broken God's laws, God's commands, but, but not Jesus. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like us. And yet he was without sin. He never once gave in to temptation. As a matter of fact, for 40 days, we discovered last week, Jesus battled Satan in the wilderness. For 40 days, he was tempted without stop. And in every temptation, he was victorious. So Jesus is the sinless son of God. But today, I want us to look at the fact that Jesus is the powerful Son of God. You see, Jesus is no ordinary man. The things he did, the power he displayed, gives clear evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to listen to what Peter said. Peter followed Jesus for three years. He was a a rugged fisherman who, who realized that there was something special about Jesus. And Jesus said, come and Follow me and I will make you a fisher of man. And, and at once Peter left everything that he had and began to follow Jesus. And, and this is what Peter said. Peter said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now don't miss what Peter said here. He said, we were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. 
power. We saw Jesus do things that no ordinary man could ever do. And after Jesus' resurrection, when when Jesus was about to to give his disciples what we call the, the Great Commission, Jesus said this. He said, all power is given to me in heaven. All power. When Isaiah the prophet was telling us that the Messiah would be born, he, he gave us some words that would describe the Messiah, the one who would be born. And one of the words he used was this, the almighty or all-powerful God. In other words, Isaiah said that the Messiah, the one who would be born, the Christ child, would literally be the all-powerful God. The truth is, Jesus, the one who, who walked on planet earth, has power over anything and he has power over everything. And, and that's what I want us to see this morning. Because you see, as we look at Jesus' power, it gives us convincing evidence that Jesus was the Son of God, God in the flesh. But it does something else as well. It also shows us that whatever we face in life, Jesus is powerful enough to deliver us or help us through that situation. And so Jesus' power reveals to us that he is indeed the Son of God, but it also shows us that nothing that we face is more powerful than our God, Jesus Christ. Now, what I want us to do this morning as we look at Jesus' power is I want us to look at four stories that are back-to-back in Mark's gospel that give evidence of Jesus' power. These these four stories are, are like a snapshot that are taken from the life of Jesus. And as we look at these stories, we see his power displayed in four different areas. Now, the first event we see is shows us that Jesus has power over nature. It's found in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and following. I want you to look at that story with me. Now, we're told earlier in this chapter that that Jesus had been teaching all day. The crowds had literally gotten so large that Jesus got into a boat and he went out on the boat away from the shore. Everybody gathered on the shore and Jesus was teaching them, and he taught them, and, and most likely he ministered to them all day. The day was about over. It was now evening time, and Jesus told his disciples, I want us to go to the other side of the lake. Now, verse 36 gives us a very interesting phrase. It, it says this. It says, leaving the crowd behind. I want you to understand something this morning. Whenever you decide to follow Christ, that means that you will inevitably leave the crowd behind. The truth is, the crowd most often is a consumer of Christ. What can Christ do for me? But we must leave the crowd if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to be a follower of Christ. Now, what the crowd didn't know was that something was about to happen that would display Jesus' power. You see, you need to understand that those who follow Jesus, wherever he leads, are those who see his power most often displayed. 
Some, occasionally you'll, you'll hear people say, well, I, I, how do you know that Jesus is powerful? H- how do you know that he has the ability to help you in your hour of need? How do you know that he has the power to, to help you when you're hurting and, and, and when you need his touch? Here's how you know. You begin to follow him in life. And as you begin to follow him in life, you will discover his power displayed in your life. And that's what the disciples discovered. So, so they got in the boat and, and they headed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee was not a literal sea. It was a, a lake. It was a medium-sized lake, about 13 miles long, about 8 miles wide. So it wasn't a, a large lake. But they got on the boat and they began to go to the other side. Now, here's what you need to understand about the Sea of Galilee. It's surrounded by mountains. And because of of the area that it is in, the Sea of Galilee is prone to violent and sudden storms. And so they get on the boat. And as soon as they begin to go to the other side of the boat, Jesus falls asleep. Now, this tells me... Very clearly that Jesus was a man. Because he had been ministering, he had been teaching all day, and he was worn out. And he lay down in the stern of the boat, and he just fell asleep. But as they were going to the other side, the Bible says that a violent storm came out of nowhere. The Greek word that is used for storm is the word that we get our word hurricane from. It was a violent storm. The Bible says the winds were blowing and the waves were coming up over the boat to the point that the boat was about to sink. And the disciples were scared to death. And notice what it says. They woke Jesus up and they said, Teacher, don't you care if I drown? Teacher. Jesus, don't you care? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, have you been going through something in your life at some point in your past? And as you were going through that, you felt like you were all alone. And you just cried out to Jesus and you said, Jesus, don't you care? Well, that's what the disciples were doing right here. Don't you see our our situation? Don't you know our pain? Don't you know how we're hurting? Don't you care? And the Bible says, listen to this. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, Now, chew on that for just a moment. If you're in a storm... Are you going to rebuke the storm or run from the storm? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of Dodge. I'm going to look for safety. I'm going to look for some shelter. I'm going to look for something that will protect me from the storm. But Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the waves. He rebukes the storm and says, peace, be still. And the wind died down immediately. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and notice what he said. He said, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? Now, we don't know how long they had been following Jesus to this point, but but they had seen him perform miracles. They had seen his power displayed at other times. And Jesus looked at him and said, why are you living in fear? Don't. You trust me? 
And by the way, that's what Jesus would say to each and every one of us, regardless of what we're facing in life. When we're going through the difficult times of life, when we're going through the frightening times of life, he would look at us and he would say, why are you afraid? Don't you trust me? Don't you know who I am? And notice what it says. This is so important. It says they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I want you to notice something. They were afraid when they thought they were going to drown. They were terrified when Jesus calmed the sea. Now, why is that? Because they realized that Jesus was no ordinary man. I mean, who can speak to the wind and the waves And calm the sea. No ordinary man. You see throughout the scripture. The Bible teaches that that whenever human beings like us. Really enter into the presence of who God is. And we discover his power. It overwhelms us with fear. That's why we are told to fear God. That's why we're told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Why? Because I've got to first of all know who he is. And to know him isn't to take him for granted. To know him isn't to call him your homeboy or your number one guy. To know him is to worship him and live in reverential awe of who he is. Now here's what you need to understand. You see, this teaches that Jesus not only has power over nature, but Jesus has power over the storms you're facing in life. And so my question is, what kind of storms are you facing today? Now, here's what I know about storms. Storms often come upon us suddenly without any prior warning. Storms are often destructive in nature. And storms are very frightening, aren't they? But this story teaches us that Jesus, who has power over nature, also has power over the storms you're going through right now. Whatever they may be, whether they may be financial storms or or relational storms or, or whatever it could be, Jesus has power over the storms in your life. But let's move on. Because as we move on in this story, we discover that Jesus has power over demons. Look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Now, the original language says this. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, he was met by a man with an evil spirit. Now, now we don't see that in, in many of the translations, but there's a word there. In the Greek language, it means immediately. In other words, as soon as Jesus stepped out of the boat, his feet were on dry ground. This man that was possessed by an evil spirit came up to him. Now, now understand, possessed by an evil spirit is a, a little bit of a, of, of a soft sail. Because in verse 9, Jesus said, tell me what your name is and And the demon inside of him says, our name is Legion because we are many. A legion was was a Roman garrison of 6,000 foot soldiers, 120 horsemen. 
over 6,000 soldiers. I don't know how many demons were, were possessing this man, but I do know this. There were a whole lot of them. And as these demons came up, to Jesus in this man, it was obvious that he was under their control. He was living in the tombs. He was naked. He was disheveled. And he was so strong that whenever the people in the town would try to bind him with chains, he would break the chains. The Bible says that he would cry out all night long. And Mark's gospel tells us that he would cut himself. He was trying to destroy himself. Now, in our Western culture today, doesn't really believe a whole lot in the spiritual world. As a matter of fact, I dare say that if, if you ask the typical person on the street, do you believe in demons? I imagine the typical person would say, no, I don't believe in demons. And Satan's perfectly content with that. I mean, our enemy is perfectly content with you not believing in him or believing in his army of demons. Because if you don't believe in him, he has a better chance of surprising you and overcoming you. The Bible speaks of demons and demonic possession over 85 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. As a matter of fact, we see Jesus casting out demons so often that it appears almost common place. So demon possession. What is demon possession? Charles Ryrie said this. He said demon possession means a demon residing in a person, exerting direct control and influence over that person. He goes on to say demon possession is to be distinguished from demon influence and demonic activity in relation to a person. The work of the demon in the latter is from the outside. In demon possession, it is from within. A Christian cannot be possessed by a demon since he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. However, a Christian can be the target of demonic activity to such an extent that he may give the appearance of demon possession. Now, here's the bottom line. Satan is real, demons are real, and they have one purpose, and that is to destroy your life both now... And for all eternity. Jesus said this. He said the thief Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Peter said be self-controlled, be alert. For your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whoever he can devour. This man's life was in shambles. And this man's life was in shambles for one reason. And that was Satan. I imagine there was a time in his past when, when he had an ordinary life. He may have had a family. He may have been a rich young ruler. He may have been a handsome, rugged fisherman. He may have been a leader of, of one of the synagogues. We don't know. But at some point, he gave in to Satan's temptation and he lost control. And when he lost control, Satan's demons came in and took control. And his life now was spiraling out of control. Now, I want you to notice something. When this man possessed by these demons came to Jesus, he did two things. First of all, he fell on his knees. He submitted to Jesus. You see, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. There is no power 
under earth or over heaven that is more powerful than Jesus. And in Jesus' presence, every knee will bow. But I want you to notice the second thing. The demons that were inhabiting this man, they knew who Jesus was. They said, Jesus, son of the most high God, what are you going to do to us? Did you get that? Here were people all around Jesus who didn't have a clue who he was. But whenever Jesus encountered demons, they knew who he was. Why? Because they knew who he was. They realized that he was the son of God, the son of the most high God, God in the flesh. And you know, the story is a, it's, it's a story that we're all familiar with. Jesus commanded the demons to flee the man, to leave the man. And he cast them in a herd of pigs and the pigs threw themselves over a cliff and all died. And, and all of a sudden the man was calm and, and the man began to, to follow Jesus and and share with other people about Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he went into all of the areas surrounding the Gerizims telling people about Jesus and what Jesus had done for his life. Now, here's what you need to understand. Jesus has power over whatever is controlling you. Not just demons, but he has power over whatever is controlling you. Because truth be told... There are some of us here today who are controlled by a variety of things. Some of us may be controlled by, by alcohol or, or by some other drug. Some of us may be controlled by, by pornography or, or by sex. Some of us may be controlled by, by greed and the desire for money. But, but there are things that control us. There are things that drive us. And, and no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to unchain ourselves, unshackle ourselves from these things. And, and yet Jesus has power over anything and everything that controls us. Jesus has power over nature and any storm you face. Jesus has power over demons and whatever it is that's controlling you. But let's move on. Because the third thing that we see is that Jesus has power over sickness. We see this in verses 21 and following. Now, Jesus had again crossed the Sea of Galilee. He had gone over to the other side again. And, and as he got to the other side, there was a crowd there. And the Bible says a leader of the synagogue came to him and said, My daughter is dying. Please come heal her. And so Jesus began to go with the leader of the synagogue to heal his daughter. And there was a crowd all around him. But as he was going, Jesus experienced an interruption. And, and here's what I've come to discover. It's oftentimes in the interruptions of life where Jesus wants to do something in our life. And so there was this woman. And this woman had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Now, it doesn't take a doctor to know that if you've been hemorrhaging for 12 years, that's not normal. Physically, she would have had little energy. I did a little research on this. And, and, and hemorrhaging like that can cause joint disease, vision loss, chronic anemia, neurological and psychological problems. This woman was sick. But not only did she have a health issue, Jewish law tells us that she was unclean. In other words, anything she touched, anyone she touched became unclean. So she had no social life 
whatsoever. For 12 years, she had been living with this physical sickness and this social isolation. To make matters worse, the Bible says that that she had gone to every doctor she could find. She had spent every penny she had, and no one was able to help her. Can you imagine how hopeless she felt? I, I, I can think of, you know, a person who is who is living with some type of chronic sickness that that not only is debilitating, but but is is socially isolating. That was this woman right here. And she heard Jesus was in town. And she knew that that Jesus had healed people and And the Bible says that she had faith and she knew. I I don't understand this, but somehow, some way she knew that if she just touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she could be healed. So here she was, weak, socially isolated. She couldn't go into the crowd because if she touched someone, she would be un. She would make them unclean, right? So what did she probably do? She probably covered herself from head to toe so that no one would know who she was. She was going out in anonymity. And she began to push herself through that crowd. Can you imagine in her weakened state trying to get through that crowd to Jesus? Because she knew that if she only got to Jesus, she could find hope. And she finally got to Jesus and She touched his garment. And the Bible says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel all say that immediately when she touched his garment, she was healed. Immediately. Luke's gospel tells us something that's absolutely amazing. Luke's gospel tells us that when she touched Jesus, Jesus turned and said, who touched me? Now, there were people all around Jesus People were rubbing shoulders with Jesus. People were bumping into Jesus. They were all around Jesus. And Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples kind of looked at him crazy and said, what are you talking about? There are people all around. And Jesus said this. Listen to what Luke's gospel says. No, somebody touched me. Power has left me. Wow. Power has left me. This woman knew that that her sickness, that no doctor could heal, the sickness that, that set her apart in social isolation, she knew that that man called Jesus was no ordinary man. And somehow, someway, if she could get to him, he had the power to heal her sickness. And he did. The woman came to Jesus and said, it was me, Lord. And Jesus looked at her and said, your faith has healed you. Jesus has power over sickness. Now, I know, I know, I know. In our background, we don't talk about that a a whole lot. And and people people have a variety of ideas when it comes to healing and sickness. But but understand, Jesus healed the sick. He did that. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and, and that's what the book of Hebrews says, then then Jesus can heal the sick today. So what is there that you're going through in your life where you need a miraculous touch from the great physician? 
What is there? Are you going through your sickness and your pain thinking that there's no hope? Or do you realize there is hope and that hope is found in Jesus? Jesus has power over whatever storms you face. Jesus has power over whatever is controlling you. Jesus has power over whatever sickness you may encounter. But there's a fourth thing, and that's this. Jesus has power over death. Now, I want us to pick up the story in Mark 5, verse 35. I want you to follow along as I read this. So while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, while all this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. As at this, they were completely astonished. She gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, understand, this wasn't the only time that Jesus did this. He did it on other occasions. You, You know the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and how Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Remember that? Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, but but Jesus said something to the sisters that is profound. In Luke chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus was saying that even when we face the enemy that we call death, we haven't died. He gives us power over death. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered even among Christians, it seems like death is our greatest fear. And the reason is, is because death takes us into the great unknown. We say we know, but we hadn't been there. And so for us, it's kind of the unknown. And and that unknown often brings fear. Fear And Jesus said, you don't have to be afraid because I bring life. Jesus has power over, over nature and the storms of life. Jesus has power over demons and whatever controls us. He has power over sickness. He has power over death. But, but I want us to do one final thing as we conclude. I want us to go back to Mark 2. Because there's something that happens in a story here that tells us Jesus' power over one other thing that I think is important. And that is Jesus has power over sin. In, in Mark chapter 2, we see a story of a, of a man who is paralyzed. And, and this man is very fortunate because he has four friends that really like him. And these four friends... Devise a plan to, to bring the paralyzed man to Jesus. And, and so they, they put the, the paralyzed man on a stretcher and, and they take him to Jesus. But when they get to the house where Jesus is, there's a great big crowd there and, and they can't get in. So you know what they do? They, they, they go up on top of the house. 
they, they had these flat roofs and they were made of earth. If you've ever been into the Middle East or some Asian countries, you'll see homes like that. And, and they begin to dig through the roof. And they, they literally put a hole in the roof, the ceiling of, of this house. And then, they, and then they took the man and they, 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 they put him down in front of Jesus. And, and here was this man who was paralyzed. He had, he had been taken down. Lowered down by his four friends. And, and when it happens, I want you to notice what it says in verses 5 through 7. When Jesus saw their faith, the, the faith of this man's friends, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I, I want you to stop there before I read the rest of it. Because that's important. Here was a man who was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. Jesus talks about the faith of his friends, and he doesn't say, son, get up and walk. No, what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. Why did he do that? Because this man's greatest need was not healing. This man's greatest need was forgiveness. Now, we don't know what this man had done. We don't know what he had gone through, but I can tell you this. When Jesus looked into his eyes, he saw the man. When he looked into his eyes, he saw the man's past. He knew the baggage that that man was carrying. He knew the pain that that man had on the inside. And when he looked at him, he said, son, your sins, they're forgiven. Now notice what happens next. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what does this fellow talk, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is no one. No one. And yet here's Jesus forgiving sins. Why? Because he's the son of God. God in the flesh. Now, here's what I know. Jesus has power over anything and everything you face. Are you going through a storm? He's more powerful than your storm. He can deliver you from the storm. He can deliver you in the storm. But he's more powerful than the storm. Are you in bondage today? Jesus is more powerful than whatever is chaining you. Are you sick? Jesus is more powerful than any sickness that you and I will ever face. Maybe you've gone through the death of someone you've loved recently and you're overwhelmed with grief. Jesus, Jesus is more powerful than death. But understand, all of those things pale in comparison to our greatest enemy and that's sin. And Jesus is more powerful than our sin. He's able to forgive us for anything and everything we've ever done. Now, here's what I want us to do this morning. This is going to be different. This is going to be unconventional. This is going to make some of you a little uncomfortable. But if we really do believe that Jesus is more powerful than our storms... Than what chains us, than our sickness, than the power of death, and the power of sin, 
then we need to go to him to get help. Amen? So here's what I want us to do. If you're here and you're struggling in the midst of a storm, you're here and, and you're in bondage, you're enchained to something, you're here and there is a sickness that, that it seems like is, is impossible to get deliverance from. If you're here and you've been overwhelmed with, with the touch of death, if you're here and sin is absolutely making your life miserable, I want you to stand right now. Because we're going to pray in just a moment. If you're here and you need prayer for any of those things, I want you to stand right now. Storms, chains, sickness, the touch of death, sin. Now here's what I want you to do if you're not standing. Take us out of our comfort zone. I want you to find someone. And I don't want you to ask them what they're going through. But I want you to find someone. I want you to move to them. And I just want you to say, do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? And that's what I want you to do right now. And I want every one of us who is sitting to find someone who is standing. Put your hand on their shoulder. And I want you to just begin to pray for them right now. All of us, find someone. Pray for them right now. And I just want us to spend some time in prayer. And then after we pray for a few minutes, praying for our almighty Jesus to intervene into our situations of storms and sickness, of, of chains and death and, and sin. I'm going to close this out in prayer. So let's pray right now. For you who are standing, you pray. Pray to the one who is more powerful than what you're facing. Pray right now. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'll forgive us. Forgive us for saying that we believe and yet living our life like our prayers really don't matter. 
We say that we believe that you're all-powerful. And yet we don't go to you believing that you can deliver us from whatever it is we're facing. Forgive us. Father, I pray that today may be a watershed event for, for our body of believers. I pray today, Father, we'll, we'll begin to realize that you want to intervene in our situation, our circumstances, and help us. You're the great physician. You're the one that calms the storms. You're the one that removes the demons and, and delivers us from the change. You're the one who has defeated death. And you're the one who took our sins upon himself. Oh, Father, I pray that we will begin to trust you. Now, specifically, Father, I don't know the needs that are here this morning, but you do. And I pray, Father, that, that first of all, those who are facing storms will experience your peace. And Father, I pray that, that you will deliver them in the midst of the storm. Father, I pray for those who are in bondage. I pray, Father, that you will set them free. They will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Father God, I pray for those who are going through chronic sickness where the doctor has said there is no hope. Lord, I pray right now that you will touch their bodies and you will bring healing. Father, for those who have faced the, the pain of death and the the hurt that comes from it. I pray that you will wrap your arms around them and comfort them and let them know that death is only a shadow. It's not even real. Oh, Lord God, for those who are caught up in sin and guilt and shame, set them free through what you did on the cross. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, and let's be seated.